I invite you to turn with me to the book of 2 Kings, uh, chapter 21. Uh, we'll be walking through the passage uh, just read for us. Our task this morning is to turn to the long reign of King Manasseh. To sum it up, it's 55 years of rejecting, re rebelling against God, though there's a bit of repentance in there as well. So if you were scanning through the scriptures trying to find the, the Hallmark channel this time of year, you may be found the wrong spot of scripture. This is not a hallmark story. But as this is our heritage and it's a preparation for God's redemption through his true and lasting king, who is Jesus Christ, we've got to enter the mess of 2 Kings chapter 21, that we might be eager to grow in a holy memory of God's word and of his way. So that's where we're going. We're going to jog our memory today of God's goodness and his grace to his people. To that end, will you join me with a word of prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word, which is living and active. Would you help us to be attentive to your word, to have ears that hear and hearts that receive what you have for us, in order that we might be conformed more into the image of your dear Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, in seminary, I had uh, an aging professor, and when he was struggling to recall information, he would make that face when he all of a sudden just gave up hope in recalling that information, and he would just utter the phrase, he would say, ah, my forgetter keeps getting better. <laughs> yeah? It's good, isn't it? My forgetter keeps getting better. I can relate to that. Can you guys relate to that? I mean, I can't remember the professor's name. God promises that he will never forget. The Bible tells us that God, that he will not leave us. He will not destroy you, nor will he forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. But from the day of their deliverance from Egypt, God's people continually forgot their God. The Bible says, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. That is a summation, a summary of Israel's life after their deliverance in the Exodus. They forgot their God. Now, in some respects, forgetting requires no effort at all. Names flee even though we recognize faces, right? Birthdays and anniversaries just, whoop, slipped the mind. Um, they get crowded out. We all know that memory fumbles, falters, and fails. It's so easy to forget. But there's also a moral component to forgetting. Jesus accuses, in the book of Revelation, accuses the church at Ephesus and says that you have forgotten your first love. You've abandoned, is another way to say that. Forget, forgetting him and abandoning him. There's the same uh, element there. Jeremiah's voice declared on God's behalf that my people have forgotten me days without number. They have forgotten me as he lists sin after sin after sin. The forgetting is equated with the sins of the people. Forgetting in the moral sense is akin to rebellion against or rejection of God, of his word and his way. Scripture uses the word forget in this way. It says to forget is to reject. And that's where we're at in 2 Kings 21. Look at verses 1 and 2. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah. 
He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. We begin the story of Manasseh's abominable reign. Manasseh, his name, you know what it means? Causing to forget. Yeah. 55 years of a king who causes to forget. He fails because he forgets. And his forgetting causes all of Israel, or all of Judah, to forget as well. And therefore, causes Judah to fall. Manasseh had a, a godly father. At least the scriptures talk about his godly reign. Hezekiah talked about him quite a bit recently. He names his son Manasseh. And Manasseh, is, his namesake, is, is one of Joseph's sons. Remember he had a couple of sons? One was named Manasseh. And causing to forget. What was Joseph trying to forget? Well, he, was, he was in bondage, right? He was in slavery. He was betrayed by his own family. He was trying to forget the suffering and, and the, the pain to move forward in the grace in which God has given. Manasseh, this Manasseh, King Manasseh, his, his father Hezekiah was a great king. His name means God is my strength. He ruled in justice, a holy might. He reformed people place and worship was not perfect as we saw in class this morning in the adult class but what a difference one generation can make when Hezekiah is reforming his son Manasseh is forgetting if we go back even a generation further Manasseh's grandfather is King Ahaz and he was wicked Manasseh's dad Hezekiah was righteous and now Manasseh is more wicked than kings that have come before and nations that surround them. Manasseh's mom, Hephzibah, her name means to take care of or to guard, along with his father, Hezekiah, modeled for much of their life holiness and life and sacrificial rule of God's royalty. But his son, his son forgets. And there's a warning for us here, right? The generational changes so quick from one generation to the next. There is a trajectory of, of Manasseh's forgetfulness. It's that of all of God's people. This forgetfulness is a moving, by degree, further and further away from God. It's a slow disobedience in the same direction. Manasseh was becoming like the nations who don't know God. There he's compared to the nations whom the Lord drove out in Joshua's day. In fact, he's become even worse, the scriptures tell us, than those nations. Manasseh's reign is summed up in verses 1 and 2 this way. That he is involved with practices more despicable than the nations that Joshua conquered. Manasseh is leading his people, God's people, back to Egypt. To slavery and sin. Manasseh rules as a tyrannical pharaoh. Verses 3 and 4. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed and erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah. As Ahab, king of Israel, had done, he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them, and he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. Anyone want to venture a guess how many abominations are listed out in these verses? Seven, right? There's going to be seven abominations or sins listed. It's a complete forgetting. There's a perfect rebellion. It's an utter rejection of God's word and way. And this litany of sins shows not a slip of the memory of the mind, but a forgetting God's word and his way. A continual and active rejection of God. Verses 5 and following. 
He built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of God. He burned his son as an offering and used fortune-telling and omens and dealt with mediums, with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of Asherah that he had made, he set in the house of which the Lord said to David and Solomon his son, In this house, in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. Hezekiah's dad was, he was busy. Manasseh is busy. High places are being rebuilt. Why do they have to be rebuilt? Because his dad, Hezekiah, had, after failure, after failure, from generation of king after generation of king, Hezekiah finally removes the high places throughout the land. But the scars of the land had hardly any time to heal before his son Manasseh begins to build new foundations and invites the people of Judah to forsake the living God and to worship at high places. This forgetting is more than a teenage king. He was only 12 when he started reigning. But it's more than a teenage king suffering from that teenage brain that we all know so well. This is willful disobedience, and his forgetter is getting better, and it's getting better, and it's getting better. Maybe he forgot the stories of King Ahab and and Jezebel that we talked about weeks ago. That king and queen who saturated the land with temples, altars devoted to Baal, erecting Asherah idols throughout the land. I mean, their brutal and violent deaths of Ahab, Ahab and Jezebel would not be uh, uh, something to imitate for sure. But maybe he's just forgotten. This is not, oh, I just simply forgot. No, his forgetter is getting better. This is a, a continual rejection of God's commanded way. There's a movement in the sins as we walk through them. There's a movement in the sins where they're kind of out there in the land, and then it becomes closer to home, to Jerusalem, to the temple, and then it's inside of Manasseh as well. He's worshiping all of the hosts of heaven, it says, as if he's trying to cover his bases of religious devotion for the people. Like his grandfather, King Ahaz, Manasseh builds unsanctified altars in God's house. Hezekiah had just cleaned all that up, restored religious worship as God commanded. Even now the procession from from the, 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 the king's palace to the temple, that was profaned with more false altars and statues to false gods. Manasseh even offers his own son as a sacrifice on these altars of which have his own devising. He continues to forsake prophets and God's word. And then he consults mediums, necromancers, doing much evil, provoking the Lord to anger. God is moving now in the land to absolute definitive destruction of Judah because they continue to take his name upon themselves in vain. They have a king who leads them in forgetting their God. In this litany of sins that these verses record for us, there's, there's, there's reference, bookends almost, that this is all about God's name. God made his name to dwell in this place and in this house, and yet it's been abused, desecrated. Remember last week, God delivered Hezekiah and Judah from Assyria because they mocked the living God. They took his name in vain and mocked his name, but God's name, and he will not be uh, mocked. Twice God here promises to act on behalf of his name. 
So what will happen to Manasseh? What will Judah do? Verse 7 and following, it says, I will put my, uh, the, 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 his name, which I will put my name forever, and I will not cause, verse 8, the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land that I gave to their fathers, if only they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. That's the promise. It was a promise given to David, to Solomon, through Moses as well. All these names are, are mentioned here of faithful followers of God and of his word, his way. God establishes his promise through those lives. He establishes a temple in which his name dwells. The promises of rest and of salvation in the land. But we have a much different king on the throne now. And although these, other, these names that follow were not mentioned in this passage, he's, he's imitating the kings who have gone before him. For instance, he's following Jeroboam I, who set up altars in Israel, the sins in which all of the rest of Israel followed, entrapping all generations after him. He's following after his grandpa, King Ahaz, as he worships, or as he worships Baal. He's following King Saul, who was condemned for what? For seeking uh, other mediators, the witch of Endor. And he's also following the way of Ahab, contaminating the temple, burning his own son. He forgets the words of God at Sinai. Simple ones, right? The beginning ones. The very basic words of following God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make false images or worship them. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And Deuteronomy 8 says, if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall perish. The king of Judah is forgetting their God, and he's causing the people of God to forget him as well. Verse 9, they did not listen. Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done, whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Again, a reference back to Joshua's conquest of the land. There is now no hope for lasting life in Judah. Manasseh's reign is the final nail in the coffin of Judah's demise and ultimate exile. At this point, we begin to ponder what went wrong. How could Manasseh have led so wickedly after seeing his righteous father and mother, all that God had done to deliver them from a Syrian siege? How could he forget? And yet it was this way for every generation of God's people. And so it is with us. Our forgetters keep getting better question we're asked here is how would we as a people have a better rememberer? How do we then remember our God? The writer to Hebrews quotes the psalm and saying, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The Christian life is one of attentiveness to God's word, a humility to walk in his way. God sends his prophets to Manasseh to warn and to condemn, verse 10. The Lord said by his servants, the prophets, remember the prophets have been pretty quiet for a while in this kingdom here, verse 11, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done, evil, done things more evil than all the Amorites did who were before him and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. That's disaster. It's promised. The kings throughout this 
books that we've been reading, the kings have been judged based on their response or relationship with the prophets. If they reject the prophets, the king is rejected. If they accept the prophets and follow the word of the prophets, they are accepted and they walk in his way. Not only for Manasseh, but all the kings who have gone before and all the people who have gone before as well. It was not even a generation before as Assyria was surrounding them. They were threatened, and yet God delivered them in mighty ways. Yeah, they forget. Manasseh forgets. In fact, Manasseh, it says, continues to fill Jerusalem, which is the city of peace, with the blood of innocent people, filling the land with adulterated altars. So God brings judgment in verse 13 and following. God says, I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria, and the plumb line of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all of their enemies. God has built the temple through Solomon, right? But he's also building a living temple through his people. But now, it's a house for God's name, but now he is working to deconstruct that which he has built. God is carefully measuring out the defeat of his people and the destruction of the Judahites in the same way that he measured out the defeat of Samaria up north. He's stretching out a plumb line as he did to the king to, to Ahab and his family. It's of the potter who formed the bowl who is now wiping the bowl clean and turning it upside down, washing his hands of his people. These are not the phrases or the words, but yet the word is very clear from the prophets, woe to you is shouted by the prophets. Why? For what reason is God giving his people as prey and spoil to their enemies? They have forgotten their God, verse 15. Because they have done what is evil in my sight and provoked me to anger since the day that their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Forgetfulness is provoking God to anger. It's not a new problem for Israel the passage here tells us that since the day that they, since they stepped out of the boundary of Egypt, they keep forgetting their God. God did all these mighty works to deliver them, and they keep forgetting their God. Forgetfulness is not a new problem. It's an affliction since the Israelites first walked in the freedom of God's deliverance. For generations, they slaved under tyrannical pharaohs who had forgotten Joseph. And then they gradually forgot their God. And they became an exodus people who at the shores of the Red Sea quickly forgot God plaguing Egypt into submission. And later as they would cross over the Jordan, they would build stone altars on the west bank or the west side of the Jordan. Why? To remind generations after them of God's deliverance through the Red Sea, through the wilderness wandering, through the Jordan boundary. Memory was stimulated by rock formation. But those memorials, those stones, are more than simply to aid recall for a forgetful people. They weren't built to just simply stir up devotion in remembering God's acts. Those stones are memorials, certainly a remembrance of God's actions and activity. But those stones become a place for active prayer, those memorials served as places where people would call upon the living God. As you have saved us in the past, Lord, save us still today. 
So it was with the ascension offerings and the peace offerings. These are forms of memorials to God's mercy, consuming fire, engulfing the innocent victim as the substitute for the guilty. And in those offerings, those peace offerings, a meal from those sacrifices was prepared, was then shared with people and priests and in the living God. This is what the memorial is. It was a feasting in the, pe- the presence and the peace of the living God. Memory, memorial. It's a form of prayer, inviting God to act in the present as he has in the past, inspiring faith in a forgetful people, a repentance in a fallen people. But Judah was being led by a king who causes forgetfulness. And we have a lot to glean from his story. Forgetting God takes no time at all, does it? Each generation must remember. One generation removed from Hezekiah, Manasseh leads the people to forgetfulness, a complete and utter forgetfulness. And we must not forget that God is a consuming fire. The the end result of Manasseh's reign is that God, his patience has run out, has met an end. His mercy cannot be presumed upon. The doom of Judah is sealed in the reign of Manasseh. Yes, there will be time. There will be reprieve. And yet the doom is certain, and we are warned. If our forgetters keep getting better, well, how do we then grow better rememberers, forsaking our forgetters? Well, there's the thing here about coming always to the king who never forgets. The people of Judah could not come to their king because he keeps forgetting. He keeps moving further and further from the living God. We have promises in Scripture where God numbers the hair on our heads. He promises that he will never leave nor forsake. And if we move into that, we press into him. But Manasseh's forgetting was a continual movement away from God. There was this little drip of abomination over here, another drip over here of despicable practices until the tap of water of the despicable practices was opened wide and flooded the kingdom. Are we in the habit of neglecting approach to God through Jesus Christ? We are invited regularly to approach the throne with confidence through Jesus Christ. In our gatherings, as we approach the throne, we are invited to admit our faults, confess our sins. We are to gather as God's people. Now, in the the scope of things, this gathering seems pretty impractical for many things. How does this lead to the flourishing of life in a fallen world? How does this solve our problems? How would this gathering renew society and the world? But remember, just a generation prior to Manasseh, where did all of the flourishing begin? It was a purity in approach to God. It was a cleansing of the temple. It was approaching God as he commanded. And all of those actions of Hezekiah were a remembering God. Not that he had forgotten the way or the word, but that he simply follows in obedience the simple commands of God. Corruption of an entire people originated in the corruption of worship, and so it is for us as well. But we seek the pure form of worship through our King, Jesus Christ. And in this too, there's something about repetition in life, isn't there? 
There are things that even dementia cannot touch. As I worked in nursing homes for over 10 years of my life, it was not surprising to hear the same old hymns sung by people who have sung them for generations, though they couldn't remember the names of their own children. Passages of scripture would come to mind, confessions of faith, psalms of praise, creeds, confessions. We rehearse rhythms from kneeling in confession to rising in forgiveness. These are rhythms, these are rituals that form in us, that, that we begin to inhabit the goodness, the grace, and the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We even get to come to his table regularly, where in faith we are strengthened to eat together is an act of prayer, inviting God's salvation. Now, Second Chronicles does record an act of repentance on Manasseh's behalf, but yet it doesn't seem that he was inclined to that for the long term. We will forget our God often. To remember him is not a jogging of the mind. It is a turning to him in faith. It is a turning to him in repentance. To remember our God is to walk humbly in his way. To be attentive to his word along with the community of his people. And we have confidence that as we look to him, he will not leave us, forsake us, or forget us. He promises that he will not forget, that he will never forget. Jesus, in fact, lives now to reign over all creation and intercedes on our behalf. Ours is not the way of Manasseh, not the way of Judah, but the way of Christ, the king who is the living memorial through whom God acts to save a forgetful people, through whom a forgetful people have access to God. Our king is no Manasseh. Our king is the Messiah. Our forgetters, they will keep getting better, but his blood is stronger. His blood will never fail. Our king, the redeemer, remembers, and he gives himself that we might not forget. But rather we pray and we sing, amen, come, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you are patient and kind, that though like Manasseh and those in Judah, we do forget, we do rebel and reject. You are patient and you are kind. We plead only the righteousness of our King Jesus, who on our behalf pleads our cause before you. So we pray now to him and to you, our mighty Father, that you might draw near to us, grant us your spirit, and lead us in the way that we should go. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name.